0: Hey everybody, this is Michael Sweet from Striper, and you are listening to Focus on Metal.
1: Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to another week of Focus on Metal. Got a killer show for you this week. So much so that we don't even have time for track of the week or anything else. We're just gonna uh, we're gonna roll with what we got. So first up is we have a great chat with our uh, forever recurring guest. I think we're at last count. By Richie. We were at about uh, seven appearances by Michael Sweet. And October 11th, Michael released his brand new solo album 10 via the folks over at Rat Pack Records. And if you haven't already ordered your own copy, then I would say that uh, you go over there right now and order one up. Or in fact, I've made it super simple for you since the day of the pre orders. We've had a link right up on on focusonmetal.net. So you can go over there and scroll down just under the current episodes, and you will see an ad for. Michael Sweet's 10. Just click that. Bring you right over to Rat Pack Records, and you can order your own copy while you are listening to Michael Sweet talk to Richie all about the making of... Ten, And then after that, we have another recurring guest. That is uh, another fellow Irishman of Richie's. That is Ricky Warwick of Black Star Riders. And they just put out their brand new one called Another State of Grace. And we have got Ricky on board this week talking all about that. So knowing we have so much to pack in this week, what do you say that uh, I shut the hell up and we go right into Richie's chat with Michael Sweet.
2: Hey, Michael. How are you doing? Richie, how you doing, man? Good. You at home? I got home.
0: Yeah, I've been home since uh, last Thursday. So, you know, what was that? A week ago? Uh, and <laughs> I, uh, I've been fighting, fighting a, a bug, man. I'm, 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 I'm finally on the outskirts of it, but God I kicked my butt.
2: Okay, so you're in Plymouth then?
0: In Plymouth. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm in Sudbury, Mass. I'm about an hour and a half away from you.
0: Oh wow. Yeah. Okay
2: yeah I met you at the show at the Tupelo earlier this year
0: yeah, of course, of course yeah we've talked we've spoken many times
2: uh I think you're the most frequent guest. this is probably the seventh or eighth time <laughs> it's um
0: it's crazy yeah
2: i call I call you now, Michael, you're Mr prolific. It's like our biannual conversation
0: <laughs> well, I don't know about prolific is a strong word, man, but i i uh I'm certainly uh, active. Mm-hmm. I'm very active, and I I love what I do, man. I still do, and that hasn't uh, hasn't left me yet. I hope it never does. Yeah, you know, I don't want to get burnt out and get old and, and, and not want to do it anymore. So as long as that desire is there, I'm going to keep putting out music and keep recording and uh, and and running full speed, man.
2: Yeah. Now, I I sent you a text before you went to the Rockin' Pod in Nashville, and I wanted to ask you. When, when I got you back on did, What was your experience down there? Did you have a good time?
0: Oh yeah, I had a great time um, I wound up meeting a lot of Great people, and doing a lot of interviews Podcast interviews And then I got to perform A couple songs with the band uh, And man, I tell you I had a blast, I got to see Tony Harnell, I haven't seen him in a while uh, So it was really fun, man I had a great time down there
2: Great, great, that's great to hear um, you you just back from South America, and of course you had to cancel one of the shows. Um, and I wanted to talk to you for a minute about promoters because I think a lot of a lot of fans out there they don't understand that the, that the promoters bring the bands to the to the to the cities. It's not that the band doesn't want to go because when you announce all these shows on on your on your social media, straight away you get people saying, "Can you come here? Come to this city. Come to that city." Right. It's promoter-driven, and you guys had to go out of your way to explain that and explain why you didn't do the Peru show.
0: Absolutely. And, I mean, it wasn't just one show. It was three shows. So we were originally, I mean, originally, if you want to go back, uh, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine months, we were supposed to go down there and perform ten shows. And then it got uh, changed to eight. And those eight were confirmed. And then it went from eight to five. And it was based on, there were, each show was a co-promote show. So we had the, the organizer slash promoter, and then we had a, a local promoter, and they worked together. And what happened with a handful of those shows, three of them specifically, is the local promoters didn't come through on their end of the deal one of them, which we responded to, you probably read our response, tried to pin that on us. Yeah. Which was real shady. Because we had not a damn thing
2: to do with it. Hmm. I think, at Ma- all. Michael, I think you got to get ahead of that because you don't want the fans blaming you. It's the last thing you want to do well, is to reveal well, that's all why, that.
0: That's why, that's why we responded. That's why we... we you know, we're we're not one to walk away and ignore a situation like that. And that was, there were heavy ac- accusations. And basically they pinned it on us. And it's like, no, 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 no. We had nothing to do with it. Nothing at all to do with it. And, um, you know, unfortunately and sadly for the, uh, you know, Peruvian fans, we weren't able to go. Mm. Uh, not just Peru, but there were a few other, uh, shows that we weren't able to attend, uh, uh, Brasilia and Brazil. Uh, and I'm trying to think of the other show that was canceled. Uh, it was really sad, man, because, you know, we don't get to these parts of the world often. And when we finally work out details and we can go down there and perform and see these people, it's really miraculous and it's really special. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was it, it hurt us just as much as it did the fans to not be able to go.
2: Because mm, you've got a pretty, I'd say you've got a pretty loyal fan base down there.
0: Very loyal. And in in, we're always so impressed with the fans there. And when we go to these uh, countries, uh, specifically in South America, to perform, you know, there's such a such a passionate, loyal fan base. They come to the shows. They're so into it. They're so excited, and just getting into every song, singing the words to every song, and it's it's incredible. It really
2: is. Hmm. Now, every time I speak to you, people always ask me, they're from the UK, has there been any efforts at all to get back there? Because I, I might be wrong, Michael, but you did a marquee show in 91 there, and have you been back in the UK since then?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. We went to the UK back in two. 2010. Okay. And we did a tour. Okay. Uh, and uh, the, a multi city tour. That was the last time. So it's been a long time.
3: Mm. It, it's, it's
0: long overdue. The hard part is here's the deal. When we reach out to buyers or promoters in Europe and they come back and say, you know, we'll give you this much money. And we go to our books and we look at our budget and we look at what we need to not have a deficit or be in the red, and it's nowhere close to that to pull us out of the red, you know, and put us into the black, then it it keeps us from going. Yeah. We're not able to afford to go.
2: Yeah, it's simple economics.
0: It's simple, economic, exactly, and and then you take that times ten, and then you you multiply that times ten, and all of a sudden, we're basically paying to play, like we're paying to go.
2: Yeah, that's not we, that's not right. We can't do it. No, we can't just, do it. No.
0: So, but that's the sad situation. I mean, not just for us, but for a lot of bands.
2: Mm. Now, one of the countries where the promoters seem to be waking up is Australia. Um, you, you went down there with the band and now you're going down there to do some acoustic shows and the promoters down there seem to be bringing back a lot of acts from, from the 80s. It's not just you guys.
0: It Absolutely. And there's a surge there and, and they know how to do it. They're doing it right. And Danny, who is promoting uh, Silverback, the touring, who is promoting, promoting the Striper tour and doing the Michael Sweet and Striper's going back again next year, I believe, um, he gets it, man. He does it right. He's a great promoter. Mm. He knows how to promote. He doesn't. He's not one of those guys that just, you know, books the show and then and sends an email out and says, "Okay, I want the band to post on their Facebook social media pages."
2: Yeah, were which you,
0: is what most promoters what most promoters rely upon now is for the band to promote the show.
2: Yeah, true. Were you guys worried when you went down there, um, what sort of crowds you were going to get because you hadn't played there before?
0: Well, we hadn't played there. Well, no, we had played in Australia before. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. We, we played in Australia three, three times before. But it had been a long, long, long time, and we didn't have Oz. That's true. So there was a little concern, like, okay, how's this going to go? But you know what? It went incredibly well. I mean, we played the packed houses, and, uh, you know, it was a great, All of the performances were great, and all the reviews were great. All the comments were great. Everything was fantastic. I mean, obviously, we were missing Oz, so there was a void there. But, uh, man, we went down and gave our all and gave our best, and we had a good time, and and, and the fans had a great time.
2: Yeah, yeah. So in the few minutes I've left, Michael, I just want to talk about uh, the solo record, 10. I have it. Yes. I've had it for a couple of weeks. Um, It's probably the heaviest thing you've ever done. (laughs)
0: that I wanted to do, I wanted to stay in that metal, hard rock mode, and I wanted to bring in guest guitar players, all of my favorite guitar players right now. And I'm really, really proud of this album, and I'm happy with how it turned out, man. I love it. Uh, I'm, I love the flow of it. I love the feel of it. Everyone delivered, and I can't wait for the full album to come out for everyone to hear it and, and live with it and chew on it for a while and then get people's views and thoughts and expressions. And I, I I'm really looking forward to it because I think everybody's going to, I think it's going to become a favorite of, of most
2: people. Mm. That's I, my opinion. Every album you bring out, Michael, I always talk about your vocals, especially when you do the solo records, because you, you obviously want to try and do something a little bit different. And I think the heavier music definitely leads to your, your, using your grittier vocals on this
0: and, and purposely so like i wanted to really give that <clears throat> on this one you know a couple of the tracks don't have that it has more of the traditional michael sweet uh, you know um you know the ballad uh you know singing is gritty on that but on the on the hard rock and metal tracks i am and, uh, you know, I, I've got so many different influences and in, in people. Obviously, everybody knows Halford is a big influence of mine, one of my favorite singers, and Bruce Dickinson, and uh, Dio, and, and then I love Steve Perry, too. You know, there's so many different guys that I love that influence me. I'm not saying I sound anything like those guys, but, you know, these are the guys that I listen to and smile and say, wow, uh, you know, make the hair on my arm stand on end.
2: Mm. musically a lot of it reminds me of um 90s megadeth that chugging. Oh wow. Yeah, do you know the Euthanasia album and and maybe some Countdown of Extinction it's got that megadeth chug on it. Um
0: you know that's something that hopefully Blabbermouth will pick up and all the megadeth fans will
2: love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's that's what I'm getting anyway. It's um... well, that's
0: cool. I, to be honest with you, I, I'm not so familiar with the '90s Megadeth stuff. I'm much more familiar with uh, Megadeth music now than I ever was, but uh, you know, I'm not so much familiar with that. So, you are, and and you would know about it. an interesting uh, observation.
2: Yeah, um, the guitarists you have, how many of them reached out to you to? come under on the, on the album rather than you reaching out to them
0: well jeff Lewis reached out to me and i was very surprised by that you know he, he on my instagram sent me a message and said check your your dm and i went in and checked my box and there he was and he said he's a big striper fan he saw us a few times and he'd be honored to play on the album and and i just you know couldn't believe that You know, someone uh, with that amount of talent of arch enemy would be reaching out to Michael Sweet to say, hey, I want to play your album. It's kind of blew my mind and surprised me a lot. And he wound up just knocking it out of the park. He's he's a brilliant guitar player Uh, in terms of other people reaching out to me. I had a number of people reach out to me that I wound up not using. Uh, But most of the guys on the album that are playing on the album, I reached out to. So I reached out to Andy James. I reached out to Joel. I reached out to uh, Marzi Montesari, you know, all these guys. And these are all my buddies. These are all guys that I'm friends with and have become friends with. And guys that I watch on YouTube late at night that I love and respect. And, you know, they're basically all my favorite guitar players. Now, I have many more as well. Like, I reached out to Steve Lukather. And uh, he's one of my favorites, and he was busy and, but really wanted to do it and said, let's do something in the future. So I'm hoping to work with him down the road. There's a lot of guys that I'd love to work with still that hopefully that'll work out.
2: Hmm. How did you decide, Michael, what guitarist played on, on, on which song?
0: Well, as I was writing the songs, I had guys in mind. And then once the songs were finished, you know, it became even more clear to me who would be perfect for what. You know, um, I did, since Jeff wasn't in the picture, I actually had Better Part of Me worked out for uh, Mike Kerr. And I actually sent him an email saying, hey, man, I got a song called Better Part of Me. And he's he plays for Firstborn. He wound up playing on uh, With You Till the End. And once Jeff came on board, it's like I knew Better Part of Me was, was tailor-made for him. Okay. I knew that it would be per- perfect for him. So that wound up becoming his song. But all the other songs, like uh, Lay It Down, was, I knew perfect for Marzi. Uh, Andy James, Son of Man, with Todd LaTorre, I knew that, that that was the song for Andy.
2: Yeah. So you, you know, so
0: it, it, everything was kind of written with each guy in mind.
2: So you just sent the song to one guy to do the solo. You didn't send it to a couple of guys and then pick the best one?
0: No. I did not. The only thing that happened on this album was I uh, there was a song called Forgive, Forget that I had uh, Nuno Bentoncourt in mind to play. And I reached out to Nuno, and he said, yeah, I'm hearing a buzz. Your album has a real buzz going, and it's exciting, good for you. I'm happy for you. And I said, I'd love for you to play on a track. And he said, absolutely. And I sent him that track, and he responded with, you know, I'm not really – hearing what i can do and i think that was based on there was no vocal track there was all the songs i sent to every player had no vocal track okay Mm -hmm. and and that's difficult to try to lay something down without a vocal a lead vocal so rather than to just try to work that out with you know i wound up sending the song on to howie simon who I know very well, and who sat in for Oz and played with Striper, and I knew what to expect from him. And without a vocal, he just knocked it out of the park. He, he, there were no questions asked. He he nailed it, sent it to me, and I'm like, dude, this is
4: brilliant.
2: Yeah was was there any was there much back and forth between the guitarists? Like, did send something in and then say, no, can you change this up a little bit or Was there a lot of that?
0: No, no, I didn't really have time for that. What I did is I sent them all an email with markers, where to play and how long to play for, with a little notes on, hey, here, why don't you try this, and there, why don't you try that with Gus G, like, hey, dude, why don't you do a clean part under here and do the solo there and, and just go off on the solo here. And, you know, I sent them all notes like that. Okay. And when they sent me back everything, most of it, was usable some of it wasn't so there was some stuff that i we didn't use we muted out or we edited you know uh or they might have not pushed one note they they were on the one instead of on the end and we would set it back you know just nudge it back in pro tools you know little edits like that little things like that but for the most part what you see is what you get
2: M- Michael, did you think of maybe doing an instrumental track with a couple of different guitar players and yourself play on it?
0: That's a great idea. Uh, it's something to certainly think of in the future. Uh, that would be very cool. Or even, take it a step further, maybe an instrumental album. Uh, I've, I have thought about that many times. But I've also thought about you know doing... Uh, doing a christmas album i thought about doing uh, you know a number of different things that i have in my mind that that uh i, I better get to work man i got a lot of work to do you know
2: <laughs> yeah were you able to get ethan broche out to the the studio because i know he lives up here
0: i wasn't i sent the tracks to everybody even ethan who lives local and he tracked them in his home. And, and the reason why I had to do it that way is I didn't have the time. I was literally tracking my vocals at home while these guys were tracking their solos at home. Okay. And it was such a tight schedule. I didn't have the time to get in a car or get on a plane to go to these guys. And, you know, I just basically, basically sent them the notes, got on the phone with them sometimes with a few guys. I got on the phone with Ethan, got on the phone with Mike Kerr got on the phone with uh, Howie, you know, and, and to give them a rundown and whatnot. But, uh, man, it, it's amazing how these guys just, they really deliver. They knocked it out of the park because they're all pros. They're all the best of the best, man. And, and I know I'm going to get incredible tracks and incredible performances from these guys.
2: Mm. What, was there any song on the record that was difficult to either write or, or sing that you're really, you know, you're frustrated with for a while to get it done?
0: Believe it or not, no. I tell you, one song that was kind of the, uh, you know, the the song that I wasn't as excited about initially, and it wound up being it, it, every everyone I'm talking to, not everyone, but most people, I'm talking to that have heard the album and reviewed the album, they really like the song, and you know, it's surprising to me in a good way, and that's the song Ricochet,
2: the last try. Well, uh, song ten, yeah
0: it's a real simple song to throw back to UFO I got Tracy Guns on it and it's definitely I don't want to say the odd man out but it's definitely a, a, a little less like the others and uh, people are liking it man and, and I like it too but you know it's surprising me that everyone else is liking it so that may be the black sheep of the family who knows
2: <laughs> as Robert R. Oz ever said after you've done a solo album why didn't you not keep why did you keep that song for us
0: You know, they have not directly said that to me. Uh, I don't know if they're thinking that. You'd have to ask them.
2: Okay. Uh,
0: But I know Striper fans have said that. Okay. I've I've got a lot of comments already online from people saying, this sounds like Striper. Why didn't you make it a Striper album? And and the answer to that question is, of course it's going to sound like Striper. I can't escape that. Yeah. No matter how hard I try, I don't care if I do a, a polka album, it's probably going to sound like Striper. <laughs> because, you know, I'm the singer for Striper, and, and one of the guitar players for Striper, and the songwriter for Striper, so it, it's going to have those flavors. But at the same time, I don't think I don't view that as a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, and I have a constant flow of songs coming out of me, and I can't wait for Striper to record and release this stuff. Hmm. I so, just it, it, it's just not in me I I gotta keep working I gotta keep stay busy and stay active or I'll lose my mind
2: mm. so final question Michael the, the Sweet Lynch albums I'm a big fan of them and it looks like you're not gonna do any more. when you look back on those albums now do, do you think you fulfilled everything with George that you, you thought you were going to or do you think there was more to come
0: I'm not gonna say never uh the old Ozzy Osbourne song Never Say Die I'm not going to say die but um, I don't see anymore in the near future and the sad part about that and the reason for it is I, I don't get the sense that George is as excited about those albums as I am or that project as I am I, I got the impression after working with George that you know he had fun doing them and I think he enjoyed doing it But it was more maybe a paycheck and just something to do versus, like, really getting excited about it. Like, I got really excited about it and posted about it all the time, tweeted about it all the time. I I don't recall many, if not any, tweets on George's side. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just kind of felt like, and then I tried to put together a tour countless times, and there was always some reason why it couldn't happen. And you know, we we haven't played one song together live.
2: Yeah, you. I know you've done Dying Rose, I think, in your acoustic show for a while.
0: I've done Dying Rose. Striper jammed the song. At Monsters of Rock uh, pre pre show kickoff party. And I asked George, "Can we do one song on the, on the cruise?" And he said, "Oh, we've got to have a big rehearsal." And I'm like, "No, we don't. you know that's ridiculous. We could go and, we could go and, and, and nail it and have fun doing it. It's easy, easy, peasy, but that didn't happen. So you know it's really sad because I think the fans, I think that's some of the best stuff I've ever done, and I think it's some of the best stuff George has ever done.
2: Mm. so
0: and it's really criminal that we can't go out and perform it and, and play it live for the fans. It's absolutely criminal.
2: Yeah. So if you were offered something like that again, Michael, it'd be a deal breaker for you then if you couldn't play it live, would it?
0: Oh, totally. And I've, I've said that if we can't go and tour it and if we can't all get behind it and promote it and get excited about it, then what's the sense? It's pointless.
2: Mm, mm. So Michael, the cassettes seem to be back in. They're on the rock Pack, uh, the bundles. But
0: <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> which, which, um,
0: yeah, cassettes. We're bringing back cassettes, man. So are a few other bands. Uh, it, it's it's certainly something that people are getting excited about as more of a collectible kind of thing. But I think it's pretty cool, especially our green cassette. It's very cool.
2: Yeah. So, Michael, do you want to give out all the social media sites where people can't get in touch with you?
0: Well, they can get in touch with me on Instagram. That's Michael Sweet Striper. Twitter, uh, I believe that's Michael H Sweet or Michael Striper or Michael Sweet Striper. I'm not sure what the, my Twitter account is, uh, and then Facebook, of course, okay. which is uh, Michael Sweet. Okay. And uh, everybody can go. Uh, we're going to be releasing a song today, uh, which I don't. I know you're not going live with this today, but we're releasing Son of Man. The Todd Vittoria and Andy James and I think that's going to be the song that pushes us over the edge and makes people say Ooh, wow what And uh, I'm excited about that man yeah, very cool
2: that's a real floor to the floor to the metal track oh yeah it's a great song well Michael I'm going to leave you go get well
0: alright brother thank you man always a pleasure to talk to you
2: yeah I'll see you out there okay but god bless
1: bye bye there you go richie's chat with michael sweet and i'm betting you that before the end of the year we'll probably be talking to him once again but as i mentioned at the beginning of the show we've got a lot of stuff to pack in this week and up next is a chat with ricky warwick of black star riders on uh september 6th they released their fourth lp another state of grace i think that makes four releases in like five or six years so uh like Michael, these guys are uh, definitely very prolific. Not as prolific as Michael, but still, uh, you know, in the general band sense nowadays, an extremely prolific band. So Richie was able to sit down with Ricky and have a talk all about the uh, the new album, what's going on with tours, members, all that good stuff. So uh, like I just did prior, why don't I just uh, shut the hell up and turn it over to Richie as he has a chat with Ricky Warwick.
4: Hey, folks, this is Ricky Warwick from Black Star Riders and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Well,
5: I said you were open no for me, that you would bring me down to your level, you said you would drag me through the world. And my name from level. Sometimes you gotta take them off with this smooth. I can't lack all your ravages Playing safe as only playing And I can't lack getting dangerous The next time that it rains That's why walk home them away Cause you're great at making choices That I live to regret If it ain't the end of the world
2: Hey, Richie. Hey, uh, good. Nice to talk to you again. So, you at home?
4: I'm at home now, yeah, I'm indeed,
2: yeah. Yeah, where's home for you now?
4: Home is Los Angeles.
2: Oh, California. Okay. 15, 15 years. 15 years? You haven't lost your 15 accent. Years. You haven't lost no, your <laughs> no, I think
4: I think I think it's the one thing that got got me the, the misses. So I'm going to try and keep it because it certainly wasn't my look. So uh, I'll, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to stick with the action as long as I have it. Do you know what I
2: mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just outside of Boston. Um, I'm originally from Waterford in Southern Ireland. Oh, good man. Yeah. So for, nice, nice to talk to fellow Irish I don't get to do it very often.
4: No, it's great. It's always funny. I met a I met a, a mate of mine in Nashville um, last year. I was over doing something down there, and he told me. He's like, "Hi, oh, he's from Belfast. He's really he goes, he goes, it's great to talk. It's great to see. You. It's great to talk." So I've been at sixty percent for the last year.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know,
4: you know, you know the way you sort of tend to hold the action back a little bit when you're sort of talking to people that just they really can understand. He's like, "I've been at sixty percent for the last year."
2: Yeah, I thought that was great. I thought yeah. that was great you know it's funny, yeah. but when I go home and my wife. Um, she's from here. Uh, yeah, she, she'll say when I go home and within half an hour. I'm, I'm, I talk differently than when I do when I'm over here. Yeah, my
4: my 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 wife tells me exactly the same thing. We we'll go back to
2: Belfast. <laughs> God, <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, R- well, Ricky, it. Ricky, let's get into it. I got a lot of stuff no problem, to, to ask you. You just came back a couple of weeks ago, I think, from doing a press uh, junket yeah. over in England. What What's uh-huh. a typical day for you like when you're doing that?
4: Um, well, it just depends on how busy your schedule is, Richie. You know, usually, um, I mean, I was over down with Scott Gorham um, and I was at Scott's house, and it was fairly intense because it was the week that the album came out, so we, um, you know, we were starting sort of pretty early, you know, but but sort of 10 o'clock, and, and we'd probably go right through till, till 5 or 6, and it's just, you know, it's just interviews constantly, and, and with Scott, last last I was over there. We did a few acoustic sessions as well. We did one for Planet Rock and one for BBC Radio 2. So uh, it's great, you know, you just, you're just basically you're trying to you're trying to sell your wares as it were. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, it would. Did you do a lot of travelling up and down the UK?
4: Yeah, it was mainly just in London, and then I went back to Belfast. Did three days
2: promo in, in Belfast. Oh, you got to go home? I did indeed. Yeah, nice. Was that great? Yeah, nice. Now, one of the big things over there politically is the Brexit. Sure. Um, have you thought about how that's going to affect the band? Because the UK is one of your primary markets.
4: Yeah, I mean, very much so. And then obviously being from from Northern Ireland, i thought a lot about how it's going to affect Ireland as a, as a whole, you know. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I am very against it. I was very against it from, from the start. I mean, you know, the UK's been part of the EU since 1972. And I think Britain needs to, needs to be part of the EU. And I think that people were kind of lied to by the politicians. Surprise, surprise.
3: <laughs> um, I,
4: I, and I think they didn't know what they were getting into. And I think now when, if it goes through... Probably they're going to see, you know, every day. Uh, I mean, it is becoming more and more expensive, and they're going to realize that, you know, the, the trips to, to to Benidorm and places in Spain are going to be more complicated. And, you know, I, I just, I, I just think people didn't know what they were getting into. I think they were just showing this rose-tinted picture of, you know, this great British Empire that, you know, honestly doesn't exist anymore. And I think that, you know, the world is getting smaller because of technology. And I just, I just think it's a, I think it's a farce. I think it's ridiculous. I think. Mm. You know, it's just it's just it just doesn't make any sense to me. But I don't know what's gonna happen to uh, answer your question, touring wise, there remains me mean, seem we're actually gonna be over there um, in Europe when the lead well the proposed leaf dead I'll I believe wanna see it, um actually happens. So we'll be in deepest darkest Europe when that actually happens. So it's gonna be interesting. I think the problem is it will go back to Carnays Big taxes on your merchandise. It's already very expensive to tour in Europe because of the new bus driving laws. You have to take a lot of double drivers now on the tour buses. Fuel's obviously through the roof. You know, it's going to make it very, very hard for a lot of bands to go out and actually, you know, tour cost effectively and actually make some money. God forbid. Mm. How, how dare we make money, eh?
2: <laughs> Did you ever think in the last 15 years, Ricky, about moving back to the UK?
4: Um, I've thought about moving back to Northern Ireland many times, and I still do, and I think it's something that's definitely on the table. Um, I, you know, my wife loves it over there. I obviously go back as much as I can. Tons of friends and family. I don't know. I mean, Northern Ireland, we thought about Donegal as well, um, you know, and, uh, you know, even even Carlingford, even, even Gunnar Louth, or something like that, we've, we've thought about it. So, yeah, but it's definitely not off the table. We have children, so I think once they're sort of settled, we've won sort of who still... Um, He's, he's twelve years old. The others are all grown up. So once she sort of figures out what she wants to do, I'm sure we wouldn't we wouldn't really move out, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, ever since the band started up, you've had a few members leave. You had, yeah, yeah. You, you had Marco leave, and then Jimmy left, and now Damon yep. left. Uh, yep. Which guy leaving surprised you the most?
4: <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's me, Scott. We're just such terrible people to be around. <laughs> uh, and, um, I think Damon surprised me the most, obviously, because I was so close to Damon. I still am. And, um, you know, we were very tight. We obviously wrote a lot of songs together. Um, but then in saying that, knowing Damon as well as I do, before he told me he was leaving, I could tell about six months before that I was coming, even though he because I know the guy so well. And I could just tell by his body language and certain things. That I just thought, you know, I, I, I feel Damon's going to want to make a move at some point. You know, Damon's really a fun man. And, you know, he, I think he was just not frustrated, you know, but I think he just wanted to get back out and and, um, and um, you know concentrate on his solo career and tour under his own agenda and his conditions and his length of time on the road so he could spend more time with family, which I totally respect. So, you know, that's the one I think that I felt most personally. Um, Jimmy and Mark didn't
2: surprise me at all. Okay, do you think it's a pipe dream now that a, a, a band can start and you can expect the members to hang around for years on years on end? I, I,
4: I think it's, it is. I think, you know, you look through rock and roll history bands, oh, there's so many bands that the line It's hard work being in a band. It's hard work being in a band when you're young. It's even harder when you're older and you have families and mortgages and, you know, and, and things that you need to be there to take care of. It's very, very tricky. Not everybody can do that. And everybody's home situation is different, you know? And and these days, you know, some people need to be in more than one band, some people need to be in two bands because really touring's where. You know, we, we we can really only make you know make a make a buck, you know, because people just really aren't aren't buying records the same way they were, you know, sort of fifteen twenty years ago. So it's, it's not easy, you know. You're juggling a lot of things. And I completely understand why why lineups, why lineups change. You know, mm. I mean, it's not it's not jail sense, you know what I mean? It's not that. I, I people get all oh, oh, you stuff all hear. It's not a deal sense, you know. You can come and go as you want. You know, it's it's cool. You know.
2: <laughs> yeah. Now. Would you consider yourself now to be the leader of of Black Star Writers? Like you could, you could say Scott Gorham when he does Lizzie, everything is done. You know, kind of goes through yeah, him. Sure. Is, Bla- is Black Star Writers now more or less your band? I suppose that,
4: I suppose it is. I mean, I don't see it that way, and I certainly hope I don't act that way towards the other. And we're a very democratic band, but I mean, I've you know do the majority of the song right I always have done the majority of the song. I mean, Even Damon still would still be doing the majority of it, and I'm, I um but you know we're we're very much a band and um, you know we, we it's a gang thing and uh you know we try and be as democratic as possible. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I suppose I mean I was you not know, I don't like think I act that way. And, you know, maybe <laughs> I should tell you differently. I don't know.
2: <laughs> so did, did you think that Scott might contribute more to his songwriting on this one after Damon left?
4: Um i am knowing Scott as well as I do, and for as long as I do, I know how Scott works, and it's all about, it's really quality with Scott, not quantity, you know, Scott will bring in three or four ideas to every album, and they're stellar, you know, we usually end up using all of them, it's not like he'll bring in 25 and you pick the best four, you know, he'll bring in four amazing ideas, and, and that's just the way he operates, you know, so... You know, I think he, 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 for me, he did contribute more, way more in this record than he has done in any other black star writer's album. He played, he's playing, he's all over it playing wise, um, which is amazing, you know, and the song like underneath the afterglow, he actually brought me the finished musical demo, you know, Don and dusted. And we didn't change a thing on the original. All I did was write the melody and lyrics for it, and we kept the music exactly the same as it was on the demo when we recorded it. So he's already, you know, I think contributed more to this record. Hmm. any of the, pre- the previous ones
2: Yeah, so, so tell me about finding Christian Martucci Did you know him at all?
4: I knew who he was with Stone Sorrow and being a fan of that band but never met the guy and it was Jay Rutherford, our producer who produced, you know, him and I was staying with Stone are, you know, they're, they're off the road for a foreseeable future Corey's going back to and um, Christian's a big fan of your band I think he'd be perfect for you and uh, we were struggling because we'd, we'd spent a day auditioning in L.A. We looked at about 10 guitar players. So they were all great, but just took time the to right, didn't get the right vibe off, off any of them, to be honest. So we were like, okay, what, what the fuck are we going to do? And uh, so when Jay suggested Christian, he sent down a video and we just saw him playing, it was just like, this guy's amazing, this, this, this is the guy, you know, straight away. He sent down one song and he said, I'll sing you some more. And I said, look, you don't have to, the gig's yours, you know.
2: <laughs> so how did you know it was going to work
4: writing with him, though?
2: Um, I didn't. You know, that's, you,
4: you take a chance. I knew that he'd come from a similar punk background as me. Obviously, he'd play with Didier Ramon, who's in Excelsior Smiles. So I knew where his influences were. So that was a bonus. Um, but, you know, it just sort of started sending him some ideas, really, through email. And he spent his, you know, his contributions back. And straight away, you're going to go, well, I kind of like what this guy's doing. This is great. And then I actually went up to his house up in Oregon for a week and him and I just you know we've got a little studio up there we just sat in the studio and just worked on all the demos for the album and, and just got on like the house on fire
2: mm. uh, so that's great you know mm. So tell me about picking Jay Rustin because the last couple of records you had Nick Raskill producing yeah, yeah. and you, you 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 were saying you had a great time working with Nick so so why yep. ch- why change producers on this one?
4: Good question No, Nick Nick's amazing and, and I loved recording and I it was a lot of fun and, and Nick's obviously you know the guys won a Grammy for a reason Um Again, just with the changes going on and, and, and Jimmy leaving, you know, Chad coming in, and David leaving, Christian coming in, we just thought it was time to change, change it up a bit as well. Sonically, you know, we've done the natural thing. Uh, Jay was, was really wanted to do the whole album. He mixed the last two, but he wanted to do the whole thing this time. And we just loved Jay. And we just thought, let's record now. Let's, let's try and change it up a little bit. Let's get a different angle on it. Let's try and record a bit differently. Um, so it was a real conscious decision to do that. And, and, and Jay was just, I can't say enough good things about Jay. he's just amazing.
2: Mm. So, what's the biggest difference between the way he produces now and Nick?
4: Um, Nick is very much. He's very emotional. He gets really. He's almost like he's in the band, you know, and and um, he really uh, submerges himself. I and mean, not that Jay doesn't, but Nick would be the. And it's the old school way of recording as well, where he would go in, play, keep the drum track. And you'd do your 10 drum tracks the bass player would go in and do your 10 bass tracks, guitars, vocal tracks. So what would happen was, you know, the drummer would do his tracks and go home, bass player, do his tracks and go home. So we really just, at the end of the day, studio would probably just be me and Damon. we Scott to play his guitar tracks and me, do my vocals. Jay wanted to record a song a day, which was fucking genius. It was brilliant. I mean, I'll never record it the other way again. So we went in and we actually recorded the drums, bass, guitars. And then the next morning, I would come in, put the vocal on it, song's done. and we would move on to the next song, and we booked three weeks to record, and we were, we were done. And, you know, almost just over two weeks, we had three or four days. We were just like sitting around, patting ourselves on the back, and we the, you know. <laughs> and it was just a
3: great,
4: just a great way to record. It was really, you know, you don't have that whole mental thing of going shit. I've got four days to do ten vocal tracks.
2: Mm. Isn't that you know, isn't that the same way, Ricky? You did uh, the first Black Star Writers album with Kevin.
4: No, well, that was different in itself. Yeah, I mean, Kevin, it was totally live with Kevin. I mean, a bit too live with Kevin, to be honest with you. You know, it was very much that Kevin. We just went in a room and played. Kevin recorded it. I mean, there was no vocals of me standing no. in a, standing in a vocal booth, you know, doing vocal takes. Um, you know, for sort of, you know. Ours on end, it was like the, the guy vocals would ended up being the main vocals on the album. We could, the guitars that went down when we were putting down the backing tracks ended up being the guitars on the album. There's hardly any overdubs on that first record at all, you know?
2: Yeah, you got to have a band that can play then to be able to pull that off. Very, mu- very much so. I mean, the, the beauty
4: about the first album is we demoed it so extensively that everybody really knew the song and knew their parts. And sometimes you don't have that luxury, you know, but, but with the first album we did. Hmm. So... You know, Kevin didn't change anything from the demos, we just recorded them as the demos were, basically, so that obviously made it a lot easier, you know.
2: Mm. Now, now, the lyrics on the new record, um, is there any subject in particular that you wanted to tackle lyrically on this one that maybe you, you hadn't touched on on the last three?
4: Um, I mean, you're just always evolving as, as life and the world is just, things are happening and things are happening around you to yourself and to your family and friends, so you're always kind of right about that. I mean, I think maybe I've got a little, I hate using the word political, but I just built that more sort of social commentary in some subjects, you know, about what's going on, obviously, with, with Brexit, obviously, with Trump being in power, obviously, with the, the state of flux of the world at the minute, obviously, with the, the mass shootings going on in, in mm. America, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being from, being from Northern Ireland and, and, and having a child. Um, at, at school here, you know, having, well, having you know, three kids have gone. I've already gone to the school system here, but just seeing how much it's changed, um, her going to school, seeing the security measures at her school now, you know, and just really being appalled by it, you know, the, the, the fact that nothing is, is done to, to tighten up these gun laws. And mm. um, I think that's what really stemmed, why do you love your guns? And it's not just, I mean, I was inspired by Sandy, but it's not just so much Sandy It's it's about it's just part of it growing up in Northern Ireland and seeing what what, what gun violence had uh, done to families and people over
2: there. Mm, I was just going to um, mention that, Ricky. Like, I'm from the South and you're from the North. It, like, When I was yeah. growing up, it was completely different up there than it was in the South. You, you grew up with the, 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 the army yeah. walking down the street with machine yeah. guns. Yeah,
4: you know, and, and, and you know, it's just, I don't know. I just find it a little bit of a hypocrisy. I mean, I, I, listen. I, I respect people's right to, to carry firearms, but this should be this should be stringent background checks. there should be gun training. there should be proper laws. You know, you have a thing here now with, it, with it about the ban vaping because sadly, you know, six, this been six young people died through vaping, and boom, they're passing a law already to try and restrict the whole vape thing.
3: Mm. Yes,
4: how many people have been killed due to these mass shootings and? you know, still nothing's nothing's done about that, you know. They're they back and ban plastic plastic straws. That's great. I'm all about that's fantastic, but it's like hang on a minute, you know, you're missing the kind of the, the big thing here, you know. I mean, I just think there should be strict more stringent laws. Like I think people that do own guns going to have to you know, make sure the proper background checks and stuff like that. I mean, listen I'm not saying ban all guns. I know that's crass. I know that's not gonna work. But I just think it's got to be made tougher to, to obtain a gun, and there's got to be mental health checks, background checks, and nobody needs to drip in a you know full-on armory of assault rifles and what have you. Remember, never general in the garage. This is common sense. And I just a lot of these people as well. I, I find that you know that we're Christians, and we, we need to arm ourselves to the teeth. I say, like, you know, if, if you're Christians, and you're as one of the commandments, they shall not kill," is one of the commandments. If you know total love and, and an understanding of your fellow human beings, so why do you need to arm yourself to your teeth? Plus if you believe in something so strongly, what are you scared of? If you believe in that and you know in your mind that that's a hundred percent true, why are you scared of what are you scared of? What's your
2: fear? Mm, yeah. You I, know what I mean? I completely you know? agree with you. Um you know? Ricky, let's talk it's a little bit. You know, I, know, I know, I know. You know. I'm living I'm living over here nine years and yeah. you know you start reading all these stories about the guys going into shopping malls and blasting people yeah. away and all that and I'm thinking right I'm actually living over here now that could happen to me and my kids
4: well that's a scary thing you know I see my daughter going to school with the security guards with the fence that's been built around the school now you know it's supposed to be a place of 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 learning and education and, and, and fun and I'm just like you know we didn't even have that in Northern Ireland I mean with all with all everything that was going on back in the day I, there was no security at the school there was no nothing Hmm. I mean, because there was no, there was no mass school shootings. Yes, granted, there were people being murdered and killed with bombs and shootings in the streets, and you know, in the paramilitaries and everything. But I don't know. You know, you, we're building walls, and we're, we're we're you know, you read the press, and you know, you know, they're going on about terrorists from from the Middle East and all, and it's, it's, it just seems to me that it's right here in, internally in the country that's happening and, and nobody's doing anything about it. Mm. You know, well, people people are trying to do something about it but nothing seems to get picked pat- through Congress, you know.
2: So. Yeah. So, so Ricky, let's talk for a minute about the title track. Um, I love the fact that you put all the Celtic uh, instrumentation in that. Are, Cheers, you, are you planning on writing a song like that for every record with, with the Celtic instrumentation on it?
4: I, you know, I just love it. You know, I just, Love, yeah, I love, you know, obviously growing up in Ireland, the folk music was never far away, you know, and, and just um, getting older and, and immersing myself in a more like bands like Horse Horslips, and stuff like that, that folk rock thing, I just, that, that Irish folk rock thing especially I love, and even, you know, with Lizzie obviously had it in spades. you know, in Abundances, you know, with, with, when they were doing this stuff, it's just, I'm just a part of who I am, I just love that, that, that feel and that vibe. Mm. Uh, I think it's very much part of Black's variety. With me being where I'm from Scott, obviously the Lizzie connection You know, um, it's just something That we love to do And and those songs are great to play They go down so well when you play them live You know, um, it's just good Celtic rock is just good fist in the air You know, sing along music And that's what I love about it, you know
2: Mm. So let's talk a little bit about the special guests You have on the record Um, You got Perla Day on it, that's Scott Ian's wife Did you know her at all?
4: Yeah, with, um, she actually sang on our last record. She sang on on uh, a track on Heavy Fire and that's when I first met her. Okay. So I've known her for known her for a couple of years and I've known sports for a long time, just just through tearing and stuff over the years. Mm. And uh we just love Pearl, we just love her beautiful voice, wonderful singer. Um so when we had when we wrote What Will It Take, it just was glaringly obvious straight away, you know, that this is a track that Pearl would be amazing on. So, you know, picked up the phone and, and she came down and and, as usual, just knocked out the park, you know.
2: Mm. Now, whose idea was it to get Michael Monroe to do the saxophone? You know, that was Christian's idea. Um,
4: he, I, I wanted a sax solo on a song because I, I just love saxophone. I'm a big Bruce you know, Springsteen, Clarence Clementine Street band fan, and I've just always loved saxophoning. Mean, it's criminally underused now. It's almost, you know, it was obviously used to death in the 80s, but now it's I feel it's criminally underused. I mean, I just love a lot of Motown and, and the stack stuff and the Soul stuff. So, for me... I I just was waiting for the opportunity in the right song and again, you know, with uh you know, Tonight the Moonlight Let Me Down it presented itself and I said and Christian said, Well, if you're going to get a sax, let's get Michael to play and Michael's a friend of, of the band and we know him well. And we just sent a song over to him and Michael sent, sent you know, that back and again he killed it. It's great.
2: I'm one I'm just wondering, has he ever been asked to just play a saxophone solo on a record and not sing?
4: Um, I don't know, I'm not sure if that's
2: the first one he's ever, to be honest, a good question, I need to find that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I just have a couple of questions, Ricky, before I leave you go.
4: No problem, man. Um,
2: yeah. A couple of months ago, I spoke to Vivian Campbell, and yeah. I, it was just after I spoke to Damon, and you were you were just about to go out and do the Black Rose album, and I could, yeah. I could tell when I said it to Vivian, he paused, and I could tell, he was like, oh... That he would have loved to to have done it. I I could just tell in his voice because that's one of his favorite Lizzie records, and it's one of yours. Um, Tell me about playing that. Uh, Like what songs in in, in on that album had you never done with Lizzie?
4: Man, it was you know we know it was really done. about it actually was was only one show that we got to do it. Um, I would have loved if we could have done it. You know, you know, seven or eight shows. It would have been amazing because there's a lot of work went into it. I mean, it was three months rehearsal and learning. You know, all the songs, Inside Out. Um, and I just love that album a bits. It's, it's my favorite Lizzie album. And playing songs like The Toughest Street in Time, which is just a fucking great song, and you'll know, get out of here. They're just brilliant songs, you know? <laughs> and and we played them so well. I mean, my Sarah as well. What a beautiful song. I mean, I just love playing that and singing that. Um, you know, and I, my only regret is it was just we just got to do the whole album in one show, which was which was you know, which was amazing. But it was just it wasn't enough for me. You know, I know a couple of shows would have been great. Mm. Sort
2: of thing, did the so- did the songs come back easy to Scott? Because he probably wouldn't have played them in like thirty something years. Well,
4: you know, I mean, the ones he played, you know, I mean, he, yeah, I think he had to put a lot of work in as well. Because there's quite a few of them that he'd never played before. I don't think he'd ever done my hair alive before. So I think that was new on him, and you know, I think it's been forever since he played like FM as well. So I think it was a lot of work on his part as well, just remember. I mean, obviously we've been doing the only thing you want to, uh, and you know, um, waiting for an alibi. So those were no brainers, you know. But uh, a few of the others from I mean Black Rose too. But a few of those that definitely required a bit of work on his part. he did, be mm. to tell you that, you know. Mm. And what's funny, what's funny about Black Rose is this: a lot of the tracks on that are very speedy. You know, they sped the tape up or sped it down. So, fucking guitar tuning all over the shop. <laughs> Every song is in a different guitar chain. So, when you're learning it, you have to have like four guitars stay up and, and four different tunings. Wow. Just to you know, play along and, and work it out. Obviously, when you play it live, it's on you play along the same tuning. But on, on that record, if you try and play along any of the songs, it's shooting to all place
2: <laughs> So, your guitar tech's got to be well in tune with you guys. There you go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, do you ever think you're going to do a Black Star Rider set? Now, with no Lizzie songs in it.
4: Yeah, I thought we, we pretty much are, you know. I mean, we only did one on the last
2: time we went out.
4: Um, there's four albums now. Um, you, know, there, you know, there won't be... I'm not going to say we're not going to play any Lizzie songs, because there might be one night we just go, oh, what the hell, let's just play Lizzie Lizzy song, because we love it and want to. But um, certainly, um, yeah, the answer yes, absolutely.
2: Mm. So what's, what's the Lizzie song, Ricky? Ricky, that you've never done that you still want to play?
4: Um, I think, you know, I'll be honest with you, I think there was many on black rose that I always wanted to do and See, I've I've you know, ticked that ticked that box now. Hmm. Um Man, I d I don't know. I mean I'd love to, I'd love to do borderline with a soap, but so I
2: think that would be amazing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so final question before I leave you go. Um has there been any offers at all for the Almighty to do maybe the odd festival appearance? <laughs> <laughs>
4: it's constant.
2: Oh, is it that is it? Seriously?
4: Yeah, it's constant. It's absolutely constant. It's probably get. it's probably get every week. Wow. Every every week we get an offer in or get something in. And um nobody wants to do it. That's just, that's just the bottom line. There's no there's no desire there to do it. Everybody's quite happy in their current lives. There's no need to do it, there's no feeling that we missed out on something you no know, feeling that we, maybe we we'll won't finish business at this point in our life. So I think that just answers the question, you know?
3: Mm, mm.
4: You know, there's not one person in the band going, oh, come on, guys, it would be great, you know? Um, you know, I certainly wouldn't be, I, I don't know. I mean, would I be adverse to it? I don't know. It. I, it's definitely, it was an amazing part of my life, but I feel I've moved on from it so much. And I'm certainly in a way different headspace and, 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 you know, place where there was when I was doing all Almighty stuff so I don't know if I would like to go back to it mm. full on with, with, with the full band you know
2: yeah yeah I, I, before I leave you go i got to ask you about the, the Judas Priest tour it must have felt great yeah. to uh, actually get a run of shows in the US with Blackstar writers it
4: was, we've been waiting for something for a long time just to try and get a full hold going and we needed something like the Priest tour and, and those guys would be so amazing to us and, and, and brilliant, you know, being so supportive of Black Star Riders. Um, and it was a great tour because we're a little bit different as well. You know, we're not obviously not a running adult for the heavy metal band. And I think, you know, we stuck out a bit on that tour. Um, but it was a great tour for us, and we went down very, very well because I think people could still see that it was a, it's still, you know, full on hardcore rock and roll band. Um, but the exposure gave yeah, us was great. It was really good.
2: Mm. So, so what's next, Ricky? Just touring, or are you gonna are you gonna write for a solo album, or what's happening? There? So, solo
4: album's done. Solo album's finished. Um, I finished. I did it this year in the spring, uh, produced by Keith Nelson, ex of Buck Cherry. Uh, so it's done. So I'm just gonna put that out whenever I get a chance. Whenever Blackstar Riders take a break, which probably won't be until 2021. So that's done. So so just touring the Star Riders. We start in a couple of weeks uh up October December throughout uh, Europe and then next year it's it's uh, the States, festivals, you know, and um, Japan. So uh, eighteen months probably so long back that right? writers currently all being well, you know.
2: Mm, do you think you're gonna ride on the road or or can you ride on the road?
4: I do write all the time, but like anywhere and everywhere. You know, I don't need to I don't need to disappear up in the desert for three months to ride I can I can do it in between school runs, I can do it on a tour bus so, you know. <laughs> I just like to write
2: good good well Ricky yeah. the al- the album's brilliant I love it I think it's I'm a big fan of the four albums you've done actually but you've really knocked it out of the park I think on this uh, one
4: cheers mate. Yeah, thank
2: I, I thank I, you I, so much. I agree 100% with what Joe Elliott said in that video oh yeah yeah you probably met him when he was what you were living in Dublin and he was he's still living in Dublin
4: he's living in he's still there he's
2: living, still in he's in Docky isn't he
4: He's in Stepaside.
2: Oh, he's moved, I think.
4: Yeah. No, no, he's been in Stepaside since 83.
2: Oh, has he? Yeah, he's an honorary yeah, Irishman at this Sal, stage. Salve used to live in Docky. He was the one that lived in Docky. Ah, okay. But Salve's back
4: in Sheffield now. He's,
2: got a, he's, he's moved back
1: to Sheffield. Okay.
2: All right, Ricky. Well, I'll leave you go. Have a good rest of the day. Sure, oh, man,
4: Richie. Nice talking to you again. Yeah, all right.
2: Care. Take care of yourself. Bye.
1: All right. Once again, another conversation with Ricky Warwick by our own Richie. And uh, if you want to find out more about Black Star Riders, all that good stuff, even buy some merch, you can head up to BlackStarRiders.com. You can even uh, pick up your own BSR pizza board if you wanted to up there. And uh, of course, you can get all of the different iterations of another state of grace. Uh, Myself, being the ultimate consumer, picked up the uh, deluxe box set that they did. Looks pretty cool. Looks like an old book when it's sitting on the shelf with the vinyl and the CD and all that good stuff in there. So I urge you, like I said, go up to blackstarriders.com and get yourself that. Or, uh, like I mentioned earlier, if you want to get the new one from uh, Michael Sweet out via our buddies over at Rat Pack Records, then uh, you can either head up to Rat Pack Records America or make it really easy. Go to focusonmetal.net. And just below the current episodes, there's a link to go right over to the uh, Rat Pack Records page and get one of the many bundles available. Even a cassette is up there as uh, Richie and Michael joked about. And uh, anyways, part of the reason I'm having these guys on is to let you know that the stuff is on uh, on the shelves, and we'd love you to go in, just like we do, support the artist and keep hard rock and metal alive. And as always, as we come to the end of the show, I am uh, really not sure what we are doing next week. Richie has been an interview fiend over the last couple of days, and, uh, it's just, uh, amazing. I just keep getting message after message on my phone telling me to, uh, go to Dropbox and get another one. In fact, the, a uh, few nights ago, I spent, uh, hours just pre- pre-editing all kinds of audio he was throwing my way and trying to figure out what, uh, what was gonna, what was gonna go on. And, uh, in fact, uh, this is probably one of the quickest turnarounds was the, uh, whole audio with Michael Sweet. Wanted to make sure we got that info out as soon as we possibly could turn that one around in, uh, Probably everything in this uh, this episode got turned around in probably two days, so uh, record time for me getting all of this stuff together. But anyways, for this week, there ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, thanks for continuing to listen to us week after week, year after year. And as always, until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else... Is
5: insignificant. Uh.